Hey, and welcome back. This is episode 16 of Dear Baseball Gods. I'm Dan Blewett, and our episode today is uh, called Getting Cut, and it's uh, has some unfortunate timing because this time of year I run our Warbird Academy Senators teams, and they're just finishing up their season. So as the season ends and we begin tryouts for 2018 teams, you know, some kids are going to have to go home. They're going to have to get cut, and our organization is going to have to improve on every team as best we can. So this is never an easy situation. It's not easy for anyone involved, um, but it is a part of sports, and it has to be a part of sports. I mean, the the negatives are what make the positives and the highs just really so great in sports. And without those consequences, without those you know feelings of of nervousness and and the butterflies and the stakes, you know, at which we play even at the amateur level, all those increase that that rush, the adrenaline, um, really the, the big reason that everyone plays. So when it's a situation when you're comfortable and the results don't matter and how you play don't matter, uh, or doesn't matter, um, it just isn't as fun. And for that, that's one of the reasons that I've sort of committed myself to new endeavors after baseball. I'm not really interested in, in playing rec baseball now that I'm retired. And, um, I just needed to continue to climb throughout my career and, try to get new highs from baseball, you know, new stakes, um, playing against better players who pushed me in front of more fans and more demanding managers, all that stuff, all that stuff made it fun for me, made it a challenge. Um, and it was something that, that I really appreciated, but with all that, I think it's important to have perspective on whatever you're doing, you know, throughout the country, there's going to be cuts made in all sports at all levels, by all types of coaches, many of whom are, are just parents who maybe didn't have quite the same perspective. Maybe they don't remember how it feels to get cut. Maybe they don't remember, you know, j- just what it's like to have your dream temporary or permanently shattered. So I'm going to share a couple of stories today um, because my career ended with my last release. Um, I wasn't able to battle back after uh, a failed re- rehab attempt. And that was how how it ended. And it was a really stressful time for me. And it was the first time that I really experienced um, just what it's like to sort of have yourself unraveling, you know, in front of your own eyes and everyone else. And it was a uh, it was a trying time. So back in 2014, I I made my comeback after Tommy John surgery number two, and I caught on with the the Camden River Sharks of the Atlantic League, and. The only times I've been released prior to that was in 2011 after I pitched for Fargo. So if you listen to episode 13, uh, I was released after that season. I was signed. I was re-signed, I think, only two days later by Evansville. Actually, maybe it was been within 24 hours. But um, So I was released for the first time then, and then I was also released at a spring training with Somerset in 2014, after which I spent about almost two weeks just kind of treading water, and then Camden signed me. So I played two seasons for Camden. In my second season, I became an all-star. And after that year, I didn't want to go back to Camden. Um, And as it turned out, that team folded, and they became uh, my rights and everything else was transferred up to New Britain, which was a new expansion team in that league. So I didn't really want to play for New Britain. It was kind of in in an area where it wasn't close to my, my, my parents, wasn't close to where I grew up, so none of my friends. It was like a hike from there in Maryland, and it was also very distant from the girl I was dating in in New York. So I 
being an all-star, I felt like I had some leverage, and I pinged the couple top teams in the league to see if they would sign me, if I could just get my rights transferred to them and hopefully play for a winning team and compete for a championship. So I did that, and it worked out, and I signed with the Long Island Ducks, which are a, an amazing franchise in the Atlantic League. You know, Rich Hill, who's still in the starting rotation for the Dodgers, he pitched there uh, in 2015. Um, I was on the other side of him watching him pitch. and So they've had a winning tradition. They get a great turnout. Uh, their front office does a great job. I have nothing I have nothing negative to say about Long Island, even though it didn't work out for me there. Um, they do a fantastic job running a, a baseball team. So I got traded there, and that was what I wanted. And I knew, and I told the GM when I when I called him that, you know, I said, I, I know how things can get cutthroat. I'd heard the stories over there, but I said, you know what? I expect to do my job, and if I don't, I expect to be cut. You know, I expect to be released. So I don't, I don't worry about any of that stuff. Like I'm going to go there and, and do my best. And if it doesn't work out, you know, I don't expect to just keep my job for no reason. I expect to be there on merit. So as it turned out, some shoulder problems that bugged me, um, towards the end of 2015, um, that I thought had cleared up, hadn't really cleared up. They, uh, they kind of resurfaced in spring training. And then from there, I threw okay in the first couple of weeks, and then my performance started to degrade. Um, I felt like I walked off the mound most times, feeling like I pitched pretty well, like I threw the ball well, and I just didn't get the same results that I had the previous year. Balls that went by hitters didn't seem to get by them this year. Balls that uh, were hit weren't popped up. They were driven. You know, balls that were beaten into the ground were hit hard. So it was it was a curious time trying to figure out what was wrong because – I was giving up lots of hits, mostly singles. I think I gave up 20 hits in 14 innings, and almost all of them were singles. Um, so it was just a it was a weird time watching my own ship sort of sink, and I really wasn't sure what the difference was. I knew my arm hurt, um, but at the same time, I went out there, I threw mostly the same velocity. I threw mostly the same stuff. Um, I located the ball reasonably well. I didn't have a ton of walks. So it was just a situation where there was something a little bit different. I didn't exactly know what it was. I felt like I threw the ball reasonably well and just wasn't getting good results. So after a couple of weeks, when I started to slip, I approached my manager. Um, his name's Kevin Baez. They call him KB. And I, I walked into his office after a game one night and I told him, you know, I, I think mentally I've just been coasting a little bit. I've been trying to sort of just repeat my performance from last year and I feel like I haven't been maybe as aggressive as I usually have, and maybe I haven't been as, as hungry as I usually was. Um, you know, just trying to, now that I've, I've know what I'm capable of, you know, last year, um, turning in a, a 1.80 ERA in 50 innings, I said, now that I know that I'm capable of that, I feel like maybe I, I'm not reaching as much as I used to, but I said, I think I've figured this out, and I think things are going to get better from here on out, and I know that you know my shoulder's been bothering me, but that's not an excuse for what's been happening. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to do better. So just look for better results for me. And he said, okay. So those things are great. Um, and I meant what I said, but things didn't get better. Um, my results continued to be about the same. And then a, a couple weeks later, they started to get even worse. And I remember, you know, I started to come in the game, and my initial role for that season, I was the seventh inning guy. I was the eighth inning guy the previous year, but I was the seventh inning guy because they returned a successful eighth inning guy 
um, or actually their closer was returning, and then they got a new closer, a guy named Todd Coffey, who was a long-time major leaguer. And so those two guys were ahead of me, and that was fine. I was a seventh-inning guy, and um, I lost that role after about three weeks because I just wasn't getting enough outs when I came in the games. And after a couple more weeks, I just started making things worse. I'd go in there, and it'd be single-single, and now with a runner on first, now it was like bases loaded. And that just seemed to become a pattern where I just wasn't cleaning up innings like I used to. I was kind of making them worse. So it kind of came to a head one night, and I had been talking to my girlfriend about it, and I'd actually lived with her up in Long Island, and she didn't really understand. She understands the game, but she didn't really understand um, just what a player went through, and there were a lot of stakes um, regarding her because I lived there with her. Otherwise, I didn't. You know, I lived back in central Illinois, so I had to stay on that team to kind of keep our relationship intact in a sense. Um, We had met the previous season, and I had moved back home, obviously, when the season ended. We kept you know, a long-distance relationship intact with the intention that, okay, we'll get full-time, you know, FaceTime when I'm up in Long Island in the summer. So I made that happen, and then it was like, okay, I have to stay here. I have to pitch well. Otherwise, I'm going to go back home. She's got a full-time job here. Things are going to get, I mean, to be honest, it's going to get strained. So that was part of what was weighing on me in the back of my mind. But beyond that, you know, I just needed to do my job a little bit better. But I explained to her, like, this is how things work when your ERA gets to a certain point or when the coaches really just can't trust you um, to go out there and, and improve the quality of the game, to, you know, improve outcomes. Um, that's when they start looking for replacements. And really, they're always getting calls from agents and players and looking for replacements that way. So really, they just start listening when they say, hey, I've got a, you know, agents call them every day and they're like, hey, I got a right-handed pitcher. Do you guys need a pitcher? They're like, no. Hey, I got a right-handed pitcher. Do you need a pitcher? No. But then when one of their guys starts pitching the way I was pitching, they say, oh, okay, tell me about him. And then they give you a little more time. And then if it doesn't get better, then they get rid of you and they take that guy. So that's sort of how it works. And I kind of explained this to her. And um, But throughout most of the season, we didn't really talk about it. And I just tried to keep baseball separate when I'd go home. I remember one night, um, and I had had some great teammates who had bailed me out. So a lot of the times when I'd come in the game and give up single, single, and then get yanked um, because our manager liked playing the platoon splits, and um, I always had a short leash. So if I gave up two singles and lefty was coming up, that was it. Or if I just gave up two singles in general, like, hey, I'm not doing a good job. He'll just come and get me and put the next guy in. So a, a couple of our relievers, came in, you know, strike out a guy, pop up a guy, get a double play, and they'd bail me out of the innings that I was making a mess of. And I appreciated that. But obviously, they're always doing their best, and it can't always work out perfectly like that. Like, you put some runners on, they strand them all. So I just remember one day where I was feeling pretty close to rock bottom, where I just, like, had pitched four or five times and just, like, been pulled out of every inning. And I came in with a clean inning, I think I gave up a walk and two singles. So I left with the bases loaded, didn't get an out. And one of our relievers, a lefty, um, he came in and he had struck out the side, I think, last time I had done that and just really bailed me out. But this time he came in and it was like ball one, ball one. And then as I was sitting the dugout, I just watched this guy smash one. And there it goes. So grand slam, cashes all three of my runs, cashes a run for him. He comes in and, you know, he's like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. You know, and I'm like, dude, it's a, it's completely not your fault. Like 
you bailed me out. You're doing your best. I certainly don't expect you to, to get me out of every mess that I make. And I've been making a lot of them, but regardless, you know, he was a good dude. That was, uh, how he felt when he let anybody down. So that night my tone changed. And after that, my, I think my ERA jumped up into the sevens, you know, letting all those runs go. And I went home and I just had been starting to get chewed up about it. And I just sat down with her and I was like, look, I'm probably getting released soon. It's, you know, I thought I was turning a corner, but I'm not tonight was tonight was worse. Yesterday was bad. Um, you know, I told her about the grand slam and all this stuff. And I'm like, look, we just both need to prepare for it because at this point it's probably going to happen. So for me, that was the point where I kind of like let go and stopped worrying about it. Cause as soon as you start worrying about it, it just gets, it just eats you up and it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. But I was just like, look, this is what's going on. I'm just going to come out and say it. Our time here is probably going to be limited. So, and in, in Long Island, they sort of have a sister team because they, uh, in the Atlantic League, a bunch of teams are owned by a couple ownership groups. So one ownership group owns the Long Island Ducks, the New Britain Bees, and the Bridgeport Bluefish. The Long Island Ducks are by far the most successful and profitable of those three teams. New Britain's the new team, as I alluded to. Camden was the old team that they financially folded. And then Bridgeport has been around for a while, but they don't draw as many fans. They don't win as many games. It's kind of a rougher area. Um, so it, what it seems to happen is the front office sort of trades players between the teams. So when Long Island's making a playoff push and they need somebody, a lot of times Bridgeport will, will trade them a player so, so Long Island gets improved and can hopefully you know win where it's going to mean more fans and, and all that sort of stuff. That's kind of how it works. It's not exactly fair or it's not exactly ideal, I guess, for a lot of players on Blue on uh, Bridgeport, but that's just sort of how it goes. And so one day in our pregame meetings, um, every day on that team, our manager liked to start off with today in baseball history, which I really liked. I thought it was a unique little thing that he did. So all the pitchers would be down there at 3 o'clock or whatever for our stretch, and he'd say, all right, guys, so today in baseball history, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, we'll just kind of BS for a minute or two. And he said something one of these days, which we all, again, I already kind of knew how the league worked and I knew about Bridgeport and sort of how players would go back and forth. Other guys had kind of explained it to me, but he, uh, he was talking about, we had traded a guy there and he told us, yeah, you know, we let that, we, we traded him over there and, you know, that's Blueport's kind of the place where we send guys or, or Bridgeport's kind of the place where we send guys when, you know, we don't like them very much anymore. And he kind of like laughed it off. But as a guy who was not pitching very well, I didn't find it super funny. And I also liked the guy that they sent over there. So I thought it was kind of inappropriate that he would just mention it like that. Like, oh, yeah, we don't like you. We send you off to Siberia. You know, we send you off over here. Um, I didn't think it was the most professional thing to do, but he said it, we all probably already knew it anyway, but, um, so anyway, a couple weeks later, um, the end did not come right away as I kind of thought it would. I, you know, my pitching coach actually talked to me and he's like, Hey, you know, we're going to stick by you. Like we know what you're capable of. So, you know, we think it'll get better, blah, blah, blah. And I appreciated that, but it didn't get better. And the real rock bottom, which was not that night, it was in York, Pennsylvania. So, a couple weeks later, I was there, was still just trying to get 
right. And sometimes you just need like a spark. And on a team like that, where the manager has a short leash, it makes it tough because you feel like you have no margin for error. Sometimes you feel like you just need to go out there and just throw a full inning, just let the chips fall where they may just like have that inning for yourself rather than I have to do well right away or they're going to yank me. Um, it's just, it's sometimes tough to get right that way. Sometimes you just need to be out there a little bit longer, but anyway, that was the situation I was in. So I had to make the best of it. But anyway, my buddy, Kevin, who I've actually had on the, the podcast twice, he loaded the bases with no one out and they called me in to pitch. So the hitters, the hitters up were number three, number four, and number five. So three, four, five were coming up bases loaded. We were on the road and I'd played against the three hitter before. It's a enormous guy named Joel Guzman. He was a like a million dollar sign out of the Dominican Republic when he was 16. He was he's like six foot six. Every time people are in my office in Warbird Academy, there's a photo of me and Joel and two other guys um, when we were all all stars together. And they're like, "Who is that dude? He's just enormous and he hits balls that like top or they backspin to the moon." But anyway, um, Joel was the first guy up, struck him out. The next guy up was their four hitter who I think had like 18 home runs or finished the year with like 25 home runs. I think he already had like 14 or something at that point. Um, it definitely wasn't far enough in the season where he'd have eight, 18 yet, but he had a pretty great year. Um, struck him out. So I punched out the first two guys. And so now I was like, Hey, maybe I'm turning the corner. Like maybe this is it. I feel good. I feel aggressive. Ball is coming out. Well, um, and then, for whatever reason, I walked the next guy. I got ahead of him and fell behind of him, and then I walked him. Forced in a run, and then the next guy, I fell behind, caught up in the count, and then thought I could strike him out on a curveball, left one on the middle of the plate, and he smashed in the gap for a bases-clearing double. So it was probably the most frustrating inning of my entire life, at least that I can remember, because... I just needed something to spark me, something to get me back on track. And there I was in like a no-lose situation almost. Like no one expects you to get out of the bases loaded. Like you want to. Like that's what every pitcher's challenge. Like I personally love being in that situation Um, because if you can sneak out of a situation where, you know, on average they score at least two. They score score two runs on average. That's the run expectancy of a bases loaded situation. It's like 2.3 runs. Um, and the runner on third with no out scores 86% of the time. So it's extremely rare that you can get out of an inning like that. And starting with a strikeout is the best way, obviously. But so I, you know, I, I get these two guys and I'm like, this is my old self. Like, this is me. Like I'm here again. And then nothing changed. And I just like lost the feel and I just walked the next guy. And then I got a little nervous and I walked the next guy and then I made a stupid pitch count. Well, I didn't walk the next guy. I, I fell behind made a stupid pitch call, um, and he smashed it in the gap. So what went from me, like, just about to break through turned into an absolute awful inning where how can you get to two outs? How can you strike two guys out in a row, then walk a guy and then give up a bases-clearing double? Like, that's just a joke. Like, that just should never happen. Um, and I did it. And it was just like I was so close to what I wanted, and then I ruined it. So after that... I knew, like I knew I was done. You just like, don't come back from an inning like that. Like when you're struggling and they put you in a situation like that and they like see a flash of it and then just like, ugh, he did it again. Um, that was just like the absolute, I was fuming guys were coming over and like, Hey man, like, you know, like good inning. Like, you know, no one expects you to get out of that. I'm like, yeah, except I did. I like, I did get out of it. 
and then I didn't. Like, I just, uh, it was just the worst inning that I can remember. And so after that one, like, I knew, I knew I was done. You just don't come back from that. That put my ERA up into, like, the, I think I finished the year with a 7.6. I think I was over 8 at that point. And uh, I just, I knew that was, that was it. So we had a couple more games. We finished uh, our long road trip in Southern Maryland, and I threw the ninth inning of a loss. Um, or maybe it was a, a bigger bigger lead win. I don't remember. It didn't make a difference, but it was sort of a meaningless ninth inning. I got a one two three one two three in front of my parents, and then uh, and then that was it. So I and it was it was weird. My uh, I went over and, and hugged my mom and dad after the game, and as I did, a bunch of kids came down. Like you know, they often do when they see a player close, and even though I was on the road, so I signed autographs for a couple minutes and hugged my parents goodbye. And that was it. So I went back. We got on the bus. We were going back to Long Island. That was the end of our road trip. And when we pulled up to the clubhouse um, pretty late at night, uh, I was unpacking my bag, and our manager taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, like, I need to talk to you in the office. So I said, okay. Like, I was expecting this. Like, I knew it. So I meet him up there, and he said, hey, you know, this is never easy, blah, blah, blah but we are uh we're going to trade you to Bridgeport. So we needed a player here. I think they need an infielder or whatever. Um so we're going to trade you there. And uh and yeah. And I'm like, "Well, you know, I I appreciate it. Like, thanks for everything. I'm sorry I didn't pitch as well as I should have. Um, you know, I I realized that I didn't do my job here." And he says, "No, no, no, that's not what it was. Like you're um, as like at that point, like Look, my ERA is 7.6. I know how I've been pitching. I'm a grown man. Um, we don't need to sugarcoat it. And you just told everyone two weeks ago that Bridgeport is the place you send guys that you don't want anymore, right? So you said that, and I'm pitching like crap. Let's just call it what it is. Like, look, Dan, you're not getting the job done. We need a guy. So we could release you, but instead we're trading you to Bridgeport. Like, that was what was going on. And it was fine. Like, I get it. No one likes confrontations. No one likes the truth. Um, But I didn't appreciate it going like that. I would have rather him just told me. Because, again, I knew it. Like, it wasn't, it didn't need to be sugar-coated. And I I, I owned up to it pretty quick. Like, look, I'm pitching like crap. We both saw what happened in York. Um, It's clearly not getting better. Like, it's okay to get rid of me. Like, it's okay. Like, I understand. I told the GM when I, I got signed here. Like, I want to do my job, and I want to keep my job on merit. I don't want to keep it for any other reason than on merit than because I earned it. Like, that's how I got here. Like, that's how I want it to be, right? So that was sort of a little frustrating way to go out, but I was, in the end, not released. I was traded to Bridgeport. Now, the problem here was that my shoulder was messed up, like, way beyond what everyone really knew. And the hard thing about being hurt is there's basically two ways to be hurt. There's you can play every day, and if you can play every day, why complain about it? Just go out there and do it. No one else needs to know how it feels. You don't win points by letting everyone know that, oh, man, I'm hurt, but I'm playing anyway. Like, it doesn't matter. So if you're going to play, just play and just shut up about it. And then being hurt is that I can't play. So especially in independent baseball, you're there to pitch, and you can either physically pitch the ball or you can't. And I could, right? I could, and I was in pain constantly, and I was doing therapy, and I was doing everything I could to try to improve it. My goal was 
from the very beginning of the season, and I'll have another podcast episode about the the details of what sort of happened that year. But my goal was, all right, I'm in a bad spot. My shoulder, like I couldn't shampoo my hair on the first day of the season. And my I was in a bad spot. My shoulder was killing me, but I could still pitch. So I could take my ibuprofen or my naproxen or whatever. I could heat it up. I could put Kramer hot stuff all over it, which is like this chili pepper oil that you just rub into your arm and it just burns so bad that you can't feel anything underneath it. Um, you know, I got toward all, I got all these different medications to help me continue to pitch. And I just hope that as I did my therapy and as I tweaked my mechanics, which I was doing in the background, if I was, and as I was on my medication is as I did all these things, if I just made a little bit of progress each day that eventually it would clear up and then I'd be fine. So I just continued to pitch through it as it got a little bit better. And then sooner than later, it would clear up and then I'd be good to go. That was, that was the plan, but it just didn't work out like that. So when you get a new start somewhere, you know, if you looked at my career at that point, like I had a four ERA or I had a 3.9 my first year, I had a, I had a 3.9 in the first half of my second year. And then I had a seven in my second half got released. I caught on with Evansville the third year, had a one flat ERA, was an all-star, blew up my elbow. Third year, had a four flat ERA. Fifth year, had a 1.8 ERA, was an all-star. So the pattern for me was that when I was healthy, I was good, and I continued to get better throughout my career. So any coach who, like, looked up me if I was on the free agent market would say, okay, this guy's, like, got a good trend. Like, he throws strikes, he strikes guys out. You know, character witnesses say that he's a, a good dude. He doesn't cause trouble. He he acts like a professional, all that stuff. And so when they see a blip on your radar, like the 7.6 ERA um, in Long Island over tw- or 14 innings, you know, had 14 innings, um, they say, okay, like he's had a strong career. That's just like a little fluky. He had a bad, bad stretch. So I would definitely get a chance with someone else. So, but the point is you don't want to make it a pattern. So I didn't want to go to Bridgeport and continue to pitch like crap, which unless something changed, there was no reason to expect better results. My shoulder still felt the same. I hadn't figured it out. Um, so I wanted a fresh start. So when I was traded to them, I immediately got on the phone with them after they, they called me and I said, well, do you know about my shoulder? What do you know about it? And the problem was that because I was kind of mum about it and because I told my manager that I didn't use it as an excuse that I could still pitch, they just really didn't see what the, they didn't really see the severity of it. And that was fine. Cause again, it wasn't anyone's business and it wasn't my goal to be the number one hurt guy. Like, Oh, look how much pain I can tolerate and, and still pitch. Like that wasn't the goal. The goal was just to pitch. So because I covered it up reasonably well and I didn't use it as an excuse, um, Bridgeport wasn't really privy to the fact that my shoulder was in bad, in bad shape. So when I explained to them like, Hey, I'm happy to come to Bridgeport. I just want an opportunity to pitch better. And I'm excited that I get a chance to do that. Um, but I need to tell you about my shoulder and I'd really like to see a doctor right away and get therapy and get some better medication or something so I can start to make progress. Cause I wasn't making progress with the plan I was on. And I just wanted, if I was going somewhere new, your, your record, your ERA, it gets all wiped clean for that new team. I didn't want to start making a pattern because once you go to this team and you pitch bad and then this team, then you pitch bad, then a third team and you pitch bad. People are like, well, this guy just stinks now. Like he just, he's lost it. I'm not going to sign him. He's pitched terrible for the last three teams. Why would, why would I want to want mine? So that's what I didn't want to happen. So when I explained all that to them, the trainer was like, okay, yeah, we'll get you healthy. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out a plan. And 
I guess they went back and talked. And then uh, my manager called me and asked me what was going on. I explained it. And then uh, then they nixed the trade. So I guess they decided that it wasn't worth the effort to get a guy who was hurt, who couldn't pitch right away. And they didn't really know what they were getting when they initially traded for me. Because, again, I, I was kind of quiet about it. So they just canceled the trade. And since a player had already been sent to Long Island, there was no longer a spot for me to come back, nor did I even deserve my job there. So I was officially released at that point. So that's how it went down at the very end. And again, like I get it. Like if I was in in a Bridgeport situation, I wouldn't want him either. Like, why do I need a guy who's, who's hurt right now? who can't help me. Like they need a pitcher to help them. So I, you know, I understood Long Island continued to take care of me. I got workers comp. I got my therapy paid for like all that was fine. So, you know, we were, we were all square, but um, that's sort of how it went down at the end. And so, you know, with all that, just failing other people's expectations, failing your own, and then feeling yourself slip out of contention for the job that you currently hold, um, it's just a hard thing to deal with, you know, and I, I don't think enough fans really understand what it's like when their favorite major league team has struggling players. You know, they just go, oh, this guy stinks. Like, get him off here. Send him back down to the minors. I don't think they really understand how hard it is to go up and fail in front of all these people, in front of contract expectations, um, and just because you love the game and you don't want to be horrible at it. Like, it's just what you've always done, and when you're failing at it, you feel like you're kind of just failing at life. Like, it's a really hard situation. So um, it gave me a lot of perspective that season more than others because all the other seasons, like, I had done pretty well, and um, – and f- with the exception of in Fargo, that was an eye opener for me. But, um, with all that, it's just, it's never easy to, to fail and it's never easy to bounce back from it either. You have to be really steadfast and develop a plan and, um, and be really confident in yourself and hope that you get another chance too. So, um, I guess in, in summary, like I know how it feels to get cut. I know how it feels to, to see all that leading up to that point. I know how it feels to not, um, to not contribute to your team in the way that you want. And I also know what it is to be realistic about where you are. Like I knew at that point, if they said, Hey Dan, look, you stink. You can't get outs. We're getting rid of you. Like that's obviously not a polite way to put it, but it's an accurate way to put it. At least at that point it was. And sure. Maybe there are extenuating circumstances. Maybe if I was healthy, I threw better, but it didn't matter. I wasn't making an excuse about it. And I made it known that I was going to pitch and my results were not tied to my arm now obviously anyone who's ever played injured knows that it's just impossible sometimes to will your way through it and say this is an excuse but no matter what your body is still producing the output and for me it was the pitched baseball and for whatever reason that season the pitched baseballs just weren't the same as they were when I was healthier so I mean as as we kind of go on with this story you know when when coaches are evaluating players they're looking for a number of different things. Number one is just your ability. So, you know, coaches differ in how much they care about character. And I think the biggest thing as a coach is we're trying to build character in young kids. So yeah, baseball, your performance matters second, I think, but in the sense, it also matters first. So at the end of the day, when we're evaluating, okay, we need a a center fielder for our team we need a guy that can go get the ball, who makes plays other guys can't, who is extremely reliable and good at playing center field. If that guy's a jerk, 
okay, can, is he still the best available guy? Well, if he is, then okay, maybe we tolerate him being a jerk for a little while. Now, if him being a jerk hurts the team at some point where it comes, causes a, like an extreme dissonance and he becomes a cancer, sure, they'll get rid of that guy. But there's a lot of jerks at all levels of baseball, at all levels of all sports, that will keep their jobs because they do their job well, and that's catching balls in the outfield or making plays at shortstop or throwing strikes and getting guys out on the mound or, you know, making baskets in basketball or laying guys out in football or whatever it is. So, I mean, as much as being a good clubhouse guy matters and as much as it matters that your character, that you improve the people around you, ultimately what happens on the field is what matters. So I know that even I differ a little bit on this than some of our, our Warwood Senators coaches who are, are huge on character and I care about character, but I also care about the result on the field because it's not a charity contest and it's not a character contest either. You know, in the major leagues, if it was the top nine nicest guys played, your favorite team might stink because of it. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, it matters. Can you do the job on the field um, better than the other guys? And most of the time it's going to come down almost purely to ability and sure team makeup and all that stuff matters and team chemistry matters. And when you have bad personalities and guys who are jerks, um, it hurts that team chemistry, but at the same time, does that dam- that ding to team chemistry matter more than the amount of runs you save playing the infield or outfield or, you know, the amount of runs you save by being a dominant pitcher or, or whatever it is. So, they both matter, but in the end of the day, it's it's how you perform on the field and, and what you can do. So, And then the biggest thing I think coaches look for is consistency. Now, my my third season when I played for Evansville, I got hurt 42 innings in. That was after my seventh start, and my pitching coach there is uh, he's the head coach for, for Normal. He was the pitching coach when I was with Normal in my first season, so we were close, and once I was injured and couldn't play, I still hung with the team as I was getting ready for surgery and all that stuff. And I would go out with the coaches more. I almost like came, became an honorary member of the coaching staff and we would go out and I wasn't a huge drinker, but I would drink with him and he would buy me beers and I'd try to keep up and, um, that never worked, but I would just listen to his stories and he would, he would just talk baseball and, you know, it was a good time just, uh, just trying to bond before, you know, I was done for the season and had to go get, go get my arm cut up. But, he gave me a lot of information that I didn't want to know. So he would tell me, you know, Hey, just, you know, between me and you, between you and I, um, this guy might go home soon or this guy might go home soon, or we're looking for a new guy here. And I never told anyone I kept it to myself, but, um, I also didn't like hearing it. And then the big thing he told me, I'm like, well, how do you know when you want to get rid of a guy? He said, simple. Whenever I feel like I feel inside that I can't trust a guy, to get the result that I want when I put him out there, that's when he's done. That's when he's dead to me. So if he doesn't trust a pitcher to go out there and pitch and make the situation better to get the key out that he needs, that's when he's done. That's when he can't have him on his team anymore. And I understand that. Like that's what, that's where I was with Long Island my last year. Every time I went into a game, it felt like I gave up a couple hits and let the run score and, and made the situation worse. Like they couldn't trust me to come in with a one run lead and not blow that lead. So I, I get where that, you know, where that sentiment comes from. Um, and that's a big thing. And I still feel that even as a coach now, like you have to trust kids that you can put them out there and if a fly ball comes their way, they'll run it down or the routine ground ball finds them. They'll make the play, especially as the game wears on and 
situations get tight. So that's the huge thing. And with that is just consistency. So do you consistently make the plays or do you make the flashy play and then boot the easy play? You know, all that sort of stuff. Um, they all come back into it because I, but I think the overall thing is, can a coach trust you? Um, when they can, they feel good about having you there and they feel good about putting you in the field. And when they don't, or when you don't, then they don't. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm speaking at Sabre Seminar, which is a Sabre Metrics uh, Advanced Baseball Analytics Conference in Boston in a week, uh, a week and a half now. And one of the things that they use all these advanced statistics for um, and StatCast data, all this stuff is to evaluate players. So a lot of the ways that we've evaluated players in the past, such as things like ERA or batting average, slugging percentage, any of these RBIs, um, pitcher wins, saves, fielding percentage, all these stats, they're extremely outdated. Um, I wouldn't, I shouldn't say all of them, but many of them are, the ones I listed are, um, in a way that they don't really accurately reflect a player's value. So one of the things I don't think the common that I didn't really know was that on, on base percentage is much more valuable of a stat than batting average. Because with batting average comes all the luck. It comes with ups and downs it comes it doesn't tell you as much about how much value a player adds to his team but what we know for sure is that getting to first base is if probably the most valuable thing a hitter can do not making outs and getting on base is the number one transaction that a hitter can do because when you as a as a batter reach first base you increase the likelihood of scoring a significant amount and you increase the run expectancy of your inning of your, of that inning by about half a run almost. So every time you reach base, you add a half of a run of potential value to your team. So just getting on base is extremely important. So if you have a kid who has 10 hits and 40 at bats, and then you have another kid who only has five hits and 40 at bats, but he has an additional 10 walks and is it one base percentage is extremely high. That kid's going to actually add more, expected runs and more value to your team than the kid that maybe only had five hits. So, and then additionally, there's just lots of other really interesting pieces of information, just that when you look at how many runs are scored on average, you know, what happens in a typical game, you know, in in the major leagues, teams score about a half a run per inning on average. So when you hit a home run in an inning, you're not really adding a run to your team. You're really giving them an extra half a run because your team was already going to get a half a run that inning on average from the average player. So when you produce an extraordinary thing like a home run, you're adding value to your team, but you're only adding sort of additional value than an average player might in that situation over the long run, some stuff like that. So it's kind of funny that they talk about a grand slam only adding like 3.3 runs on average of added value to your team. Because for example, if you're already in a base loaded situation and there's no one out, your team expects to score on average two runs in that situation regardless. So with no outs and the base is loaded, if you hit a grand slam, you were already going to get two runs out of that. If you're in the, in that situation a hundred times or two, you know, 20 times or whatever. So by hitting that grand slam, you're really contributing like an additional two runs to that, to that inning. Now with the bases loaded and two outs, you're going to score a lot less. You're going to score like, I think it's 0.9 runs in that situation on average. Um, don't quote me on that because I've been having tons of numbers run through my brain as I've read a bunch of good books. One, Smart Baseball by Keith Law, and then I'm most of the way through 
um, get a book called The Book by Tom Tango and Tom Tango and Michael Lickman. Um, so anyway, really good books if you get a chance to pick them up. But you know that bases loaded grand slam with two outs it has a lot more value to your team because you expected many fewer runs uh, in that situation on average. Because again, you had two outs, you need a key hit to get those runs in. Um, whereas with the base loaded, no one, no outs, you know, two sack flies score two runs, um, a single scores two runs, a double scores three runs most of the time. So that home run doesn't provide as much value over the average expected value that you would already had. So there's lots of interesting things that we're finding new ways to evaluate players. Um, and I'm trying to stay current on that as we evaluate our own kids. Um, but beyond that, you're just trying to, and it's, it's obviously significantly different at the major league level than, um, than the amateur level, but finding value to the team is still, it's very multivariate. It is a lot of different factors. You know, consistency is a huge one. Attitude is a huge one. You see way more fluctuations in attitude at the amateur level, even in just the low pro level or the, the college level, you see way more fluctuations in attitude. So, you know, an aggressive kid gets the bases loaded. He becomes a very passive kid and he's much more likely to give up a lot of runs because he's now nervous and he's sad that he loaded the bases and he's worried about his ERA climbing and all that sort of stuff. Whereas when you get higher up the ladder, guys have already learned how to cope with that at a much higher clip. So you don't see nearly as much variance um, in player reactions to like good and bad situations. They've kind of debunked the idea that there's clutch hitting at the at the big league level. Really, hitters tend to hit the same over the long run in all situations. So if you're a 300 hitter, given a you know 10,000 at bats, on average you're going to hit about the same 300 in the clutch at bats as you are in the non-clutch at bats. I mean, just statistically, they've shown that that's pretty much true. Um, whereas at younger levels, hitters that are better, they can they have better focus a lot of times. And, they can summon even better focus when the game's on the line or when there's a clutch clutch situation. And kids who are not good at the, the pressure situations, you can see them kind of turtle shell and kind of fold up a little bit. So I think a lot of those effects that may or may not be present at the big league level are definitely present at the young level. I mean, I, I've seen our team blow a seven-run lead in the last inning, and you could just see it on both those kids' faces, our first pitcher, and you could see it in the second pitcher. I mean, they were just scared. They were nervous. They didn't want to be out there anymore, and they were just terrified they were going to blow the game. And so, and the self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, it reared its head. And so with all this stuff, you know, getting released, getting cut, not making your team, it's difficult, and it never gets easier. And I think, you know, humility, like I, I get it. Like I understand with all, with all of this and everything I've been through, I understand what it's like to get that talk. Obviously, I've been through it, and... Um, so with everyone, but you know, in everything in life, it's about how you respond to it. So no matter what happens when you meet with a coach and they, they give, if they give you a straightforward answer about your ability and they're honest with you, then you need to take that and, and run with it. And even if it's not what you want to hear, even if it means, Hey, you're not going to continue on, th- on with this team and Hey, you're released or you're traded or you're cut or whatever, however you want to phrase it. Um, it's up to you to say, well, you know, screw him. You know, I should have stayed. It was up, you know, he, I got the, I got a, the short end of the stick. Like I deserve better. I was better than that other guy. He stayed. You can play that game, but it doesn't do anybody any good. Really the the best thing to do. Um, cause it, you're not always in a situation to point fingers. Pointing fingers doesn't help anybody. 
and uh, what's already done is done. So really at that point, it's just about making new stepping stones for yourself to say, okay, well, no matter if the, if the situation was fair or unfair, I now need to get where I want to go. And do I want to keep playing? Do I want to get back to that level? Do I want to get to a higher level? And if so, what can I take from that appraisal of my ability, that evaluation, what can I take from it and, and use it for the better, you know, in all of my situations. And yeah, my career ended with that last one. That story in Long Island was the end of my career. Um, but the ones prior to that in Fargo in episode 13, which I highly recommend you check out if you haven't, um, those were not ending points for me. They could have been. And I think for a lot of players, they would have been, but for me, it wasn't, you know, and when I got Tommy John surgery, two different times could have been the end either time, but it wasn't, I chose that it wasn't. And I used my contacts to get back into the game, to get a chance, get my foot in the door. And then I made good on, you know, their, their vouchers for me, that I was a good dude, that I was worthy of being in their clubhouse, that I would add value to the team as a person. And then I could add value to their team as a player. You know, I came prepared. I made improvements in myself. I looked deep into myself for my weaknesses and I looked for ways to try to improve them. You know, I was creative every off season trying to get better and trying to keep in the game. And I, I got a lot more baseball out of my tired arm than I probably should have. So, um, you know, sports are not easy. It never gets easier as far as, uh, you know, these junctions in the road where you either stay or you go. But I think at the end of the day, when you finally step away from the game and you get some perspective, I think you realize that those are the valuable things and those were what made the game great, at least in part, because without those stakes, when it's just backyard baseball, it's just not the same. It's just not the same. So thanks for being with me. This was episode 16 and we'll see you back here next week on Dear Baseball Gods.